everyone, welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I am bringing you a really interesting story that I think maybe, perhaps, a lot of people haven't heard of before. I know that I was really surprised to learn this story and to hear about the triumph that came from tragedy with the band Def Leppard. Perhaps some of you are Def Leppard fans, perhaps some of you aren't fans, but I hope that regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, that you'll find this story to be fascinating. But not only that, that you'll find some inspiration from the story um, because the drummer for Def Leppard, Rick Allen, he went through a, an extremely tragic, tumultuous time when he was very young to the point where he thought he might not ever perform in Def Leppard ever again and that his dreams of being a drummer for the rest of his life in terms of what it looked like normally, that they'd be squandered forever. But without further ado, let's get started with the story of Rick Allen and the story of how Def Leppard came about before we kind of tell the story of the tragedy that befalls Rick Allen and Def Leppard as a whole. So Rick Allen was born on the 1st of November 1963 in Drawnfield, Derbyshire. He started playing drums at the age of nine. When Rick was 14, his mother replied on his behalf to an advertisement placed by a band called Def Leppard looking for a drummer to replace the one that they had already. His name was Tony Kenning. Rick later joined the band on the 1st of November 1978 when Rick was only 15 years old. Can you truly imagine? You're a high schooler. You're 15 years old. You join, inevitably, one of the biggest hair metal bands of the time that will ever be. Can you imagine that at 15? That, to me, is crazy. But this is even crazier. In 1979, he dropped out of school to concentrate on his music career, which makes sense. When Rick celebrated his 16th birthday, he celebrated with a performance at the Hammersmith Odeon when Def Leppard opened for ACDC. Just let that, like, sink in for a minute. Like, he's 16 years old. He's been performing with Def Leppard for a year. On his 16th birthday, he performs with Def Leppard opening for ACDC. I truly don't think you can get as cool of a sweet 16 as that. I wish that were me. Unfortunately, that wasn't me, but it's okay. But I think that's really cool anyway. Um, so that's kind of the background, if you will, of Rick. Now let's get into how Def Leppard came about. So their first album was 1980s On Through the Night, and it reached the top 15 in the UK, but received little notice anywhere else. So it did kind of all right for itself, not too terribly. Their second album was 1981's High and Dry, and this defined their melodic hard rock style. And the album's most popular track, Bring In On The Heartbreak, became one of the first rock videos played on MTV in 1982. But the album only reached the top 30 in the UK. So it did even worse than their first one in their home country. Crazily enough. Def Leppard's next studio album, Pyromania, was released in January of 1983 with Photograph and Rock of Ages both topping the US rock charts and reaching the top 20 of the Hot 100. It reached number two on the U.S. However, it, again, didn't really do that great in the U.K. So they came out with these three albums in their home country. They were really just starting to break through to the masses at this time with Pyromania. Pyromania would be their breakout album for the most part. Like, it did what it needed to do. It especially landed well with American audiences, which I've talked about this whole concept before on my podcast, but one of the overarching goals 
that a lot of English bands and musicians have is to break through the American market because they know that if they can break through their home country and land in America, that they've, I guess, quote unquote, made it in some respects because, you know, England, we think of England as this really massive country with a lot of influence, and that's true, but England's also a very small island, right? So they can make it as big as they can in their home country, but to get worldwide recognition, especially internationally, to make it big as a UK band in America is again like the antithesis, not maybe the antithesis, but it's it's the top reaching goal for a lot of UK bands. And so for Def Leppard to break through as well as they could with Pyromania, their third album, I would say they did as well as they could. In their home country, it was really slow starting for them. It wasn't until their follow-up album, which is their biggest album, that they really break through there. But Following their breakthrough with Pyromania, Def Leppard moved to Dublin in February of 1984 for tax purposes to begin writing the follow-up to Pyromania. And now this is where the tragic story of Rick Allen happens. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what happened to Rick Allen? What's the tragic story that happens here and how does this befell him? Well, Rick actually gave a really interesting interview um, in an article, I believe the publication's called Page Six, if I'm not mistaken. However, I could have easily just summarized this story and given it to you, but he explains his story and what he thought about his situation so well that I am just going to read you what exactly he said, because I think he does it so much better at explaining than what I could ever do in just summarizing. Plus, it's a really interesting story. To hear it from his perspective is really mind-blowing to me. I will um, put a little bit of a warning. We will be talking about some things that include not really gore necessarily, but there's some maybe squeamish things in here um, that have to do with like accidents involving body parts. Okay, so if you're very squeamish when it comes to like talks of that uh, or blood or whatever, then perhaps skip past this for the next few minutes because I'm literally going to be reading verbatim what exactly he in this interview. Um, so I will preface this story by saying that this happens on New Year's Eve, 1984. So without further ado, let me just tell you the story from Rick Allen's own perspective. My girlfriend at the time and I were on a winding country road having a nice drive near Sheffield. This Alfa Romeo came round a corner and went blazing past. I was like, wow, that's some interesting driving. As I continued on, I realized this Alpha had slowed, so I would catch up. For three or four miles, every time I tried to pass, he would speed up. This kept going on, and finally, I kind of lost my cool and put my foot down. Suddenly, this long corner revealed itself, and at a certain point, it was too late. I lost control. I think the roads were a bit slippery, too, and as the car rolled, the seatbelt came undone and took my left arm. The arm stayed in the car and I disappeared through the sunroof, banging my head really badly going out and ended up probably 150 yards away in a field, literally just lying there. What saved my life is that I tensed up so I didn't bleed out. I wasn't unconscious. There was an off-duty cop and a nurse who didn't know each other at the time who helped fix me up. About 45 minutes later, an ambulance arrived and took me to the hospital. It wasn't until then that I actually bled out when they put me under anesthetic. I was in a coma for two weeks. During that time, they reattached the arm. 
Everything seemed to be going okay. Then, unfortunately, probably because I lost my arm in the middle of rural England in a farmer's field, I ended up getting a really bad infection. That's when they decided to take the arm completely, which obviously I didn't know about because I was in a coma. It wasn't really until a couple of weeks after the accident that I realized what had happened. I wasn't quite putting things together. I was confused as to why I was in the hospital. But then things started revealing themselves over a series of experiences and days. When they changed my dressing for the first time, they fortunately gave me tons of nitrous oxide. It was then, in this cartoon state, that I realized, oh dear, I actually lost my left arm. Then everything started coming back in terms of what had happened. And that's when I didn't want to do this anymore. I felt defeated, self-conscious, wanted to just disappear. But my family, friends, and hundreds of thousands of letters from all over the planet put me in a different headspace. I discovered the power of the human spirit, and that was a springboard into where I am now. So that's literally the whole story there. Rick explaining himself many, many, many years later, reminiscing back on this accident that happened to him while he was 21 years old in 1984, New Year's Eve with his girlfriend. So this is a story that I thought, how incredibly tragic. You lose one of your limbs when you're young, very tragically, and you go through this period, and you're in a major band like Def Leppard. And so, and you're playing the drums. I mean, it would be as such if also he was like a guitarist where he had to, again, use both hands. I would even say it's harder for drummers because drummers literally, they use all of their body parts. They use their feet. They use both of their hands. It's like, it's a very involved instrument to play the drums. And so you really have to think like, how the hell can I play the drums with only one arm? And this is what Rick was thinking. He was thinking, how the hell can I play the drums any more point blank period after losing my arm? This is not, this is not going to go well for me. I'm not going to have a career again. He was really down and out about this whole situation. And of course, that's very understandable. I think as one would be very depressed, I would say, when this happens to you, I can only imagine. And the thing about this whole story that makes my heart like sore is that Def Leppard didn't just toss Rick Allen out on the street and replace him with another drummer. They were like, no, Rick is our brother. He was with us from the very beginning of Def Leppard up until now with Pyromania. Like, no, we're not just throwing him away like trash. We're keeping him. We're protecting him. We're giving him all of this love that we possibly can. And I think that's just a really wonderful thing to do for your friend and your bandmate. But also, it's just a nice thing to do for another human being to not treat them as if, oh, well, you lost your arm. Well, then we're never going to speak to you again because we need a better drummer. Sorry. Like, if they really cared about the fame and things like that, they would have easily replaced him with somebody else because the music industry, unfortunately, is very cutthroat like that especially when it was back in the day, especially when you had other hair metal bands that were competing with each other at this time, like Rat, and you have Poison, and you had Motley Crue, you had Skid Row, you had all these other ones that were competing for the top and of, of the best of the best. Def Leppard was like, no, this isn't deterring us away from anything. We're going to keep Rick with us. We're going to help him through this tough situation. 
and that's amazing to me. That's so amazing. Um, which makes me love Def Leppard even more. Like I liked Def Leppard before, but when I heard this story, I was like, that makes me love them even more because they're good people. So despite losing his arm, Rick decided to continue playing the drums. The band took a hiatus from onstage performances until the 16th of August, 1986, when Rick was able to return to live drumming at the Monsters of Rock Festival at Castle Donington. Listen to this. This is nuts. This is how crazy this guy is, but he's so incredible. He used the bone from the amputated arm of his to drum with on this day. How he got that, I truly don't know. I have to wonder, like, when he was out of the hospital, was he's like, hey, can I have, like, my arm as a souvenir? I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I don't really know, <laughs> to be honest. But this happened. This actually earned him the name Shred Flintstone within the band. So clearly this happened. I, I, I truly don't know how ethical it is at, for a doctor to give a patient their amputated arm or at least like a bone or something. I don't know. But, you know, that's a really interesting anecdote. So I thought I'd put that in there because that's really wild to me. Soon after this, Rick realized that he could use his legs to do some of the drumming work previously done with both of his arms, of course. So... And obviously drummers do, again, use their feet, but to compensate for what his left arm couldn't do anymore, he had to make and put pedals and things onto his drums and added more stuff onto it. So what he did, he worked with this electronic drum company called Simmons, where they both designed this special electronic drum kit for Rick to use um, for the remainder of his time in Def Leppard and beyond, but this was like the first iteration. The other members of the band supported Rick's recovery, again, and they supported the fact that he would then take on this electronic drum sound, which is why, which is why on their future albums with the drums, it sounds a little electronic. It sounds a little different than a typical percussion drum kit, which is fascinating because I never knew that. You just assume that, oh, well, it's the 80s, that makes sense that an electric drum kit could be used, but like, no, it was for this specific purpose. And I think that's really interesting. So during this time, while they took a hiatus, Rick was learning to play the drums again. Um, the band was taking some time off. They were in the studio, though. They were trying to figure out how to create new music for the album that would end up being their best album of all time called Hysteria, which is my favorite album of theirs. So they were trying to figure out how to put the pieces together for this album. Rick was placed in a separate studio to practice his new drums. And after a few months, Rick gathered the band together and say, hey, guys, look at what I can do. He performed the intro to the Led Zeppelin song, When the Levee Breaks, to showcase his progress to the band of say, hey, this is the progress I've made over these few months with this new drum kit, with me learning how to play the drums with my feet and my only arm. Look what I can do. Joe Elliott, the lead singer of Def Leppard, he reports this moment as being a very emotional moment because obviously, you know, this is your friend. You've known this person for a long time. They've gone through a tragedy and to see them coming back with so much tenacity and zest for life and saying like, this is amazing. I'm not going to let this get me down. To see him performing this on his new drum kit with only one arm and both of his feet was actually very moving, so that's a really interesting time as well. Rick's comeback was sealed at the 1986 Monsters of Rock Festival in England with an emotionally charged ovation after his introduction by Joe Elliott. Obviously, everyone in the audience 
was so happy about this because clearly this was a very highly publicized thing. I mean, the drummer of Def Leppard, he he nearly dies because his arm was severed in a car accident. Like that's something that so tragic to hear, but also the media for sure they picked up the story and they ran with it. So everyone knew and everyone knew why the band was on hiatus at this point. So to see them come back and to see them come back in a new iteration just as better than ever actually. It's very it's very powerful. It's it's very powerful and it shows how strong the human spirit really is and how you you really could let something like this affect you mentally, but he didn't do that. He wallowed for a while, which is I think a very normal state of mind to go into, especially after this thing just happened and it's very fresh for you, but he never fully took it down the path of this is my life and I'm going to look at this in a negative way. He took at it from a very positive perspective and I think that's very admirable. So, after three years of recording, Def Leppard's fourth album, Hysteria, was released on the 3rd of August, 1987. So now that you guys understand that their album, Hysteria, all the songs that are on there, you have Animal, you have Pour Some Sugar On Me, you have all of that stuff. You can now appreciate more, I think. Def Leppard in this album where you can hear the drumming. And again, it's very electronic sounding. It's not a typical percussion drum, but you can appreciate... You can appreciate the band and maybe the songs a bit more and the craftsmanship and the musicianship a lot more, I'd say, after after hearing this story. The song Animal became the band's top 10 hit in the UK, reaching number six on the UK singles chart. The song also started their run of 10 consecutive US Billboard Hot 100 Top 40 singles. Initial US album sales were slow compared to Pyromania until the release of the fourth single, Pour Some Sugar On Me. The song hit number two on the Hot 100, and Hysteria finally reached the top of the U.S. Billboard 200 in July 1988. Although, interestingly enough, Pour Some Sugar On Me wasn't initially a big hit in other countries, it has come to be regarded as the band's signature song and was ranked at number two on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 80s in 2006. What I also thought was really interesting, just to kind of end this episode on, uh, Rick is one of the founders for this foundation called the Raven Drum Foundation, which helps veterans dealing with PTSD through alternative medical programs, including drumming circles, which I thought was interesting. So meaning it's a form of music therapy wherein, you know, vets, they gather around in a circle with their other veteran friends dealing with PTSD and drumming or playing the instruments or other instruments like that can help release some emotions. It's very cathartic and therapeutic. So that's what he's talking about, which I thought that's really cool to bring that around full circle because obviously, again, you know, you you would suffer from PTSD through what Rick experienced when you were young. And he was not unconscious for that event either. Like, like he said, he was conscious through the entire thing of his arm severing from his body him going through the vehicle, him landing on the grass. Like he was conscious through the entire thing. I think he just went into shock. So at the moment he couldn't remember it all, but obviously as he recovered, he regained his memory. So unbelievably interesting, this whole story. I just really have to give it up to Def Leppard and to Rick Allen uh, personally, because you really rose to the occasion. You became one of the best 80s hair metal bands of all time, but especially with Hysteria. Again, 
that's their biggest best-selling album of all time. And that came about through Triumph Over Tragedy. They took three years. They went on hiatus for three years. Think about that, too, from that perspective. When a band comes out with their quote-unquote breakthrough album, which Pyromania was for them in some aspects, you then go on hiatus for three years. Especially at that time in the music industry, people released their albums really quickly so that they wouldn't lose momentum and so that the general public would keep them in the forefront of their memory, right? Oh yeah, this Def Leppard band, this Def Leppard band, right, I'm not going to forget about them, true. But it's been three years since they released any new music. The public knew why that was. But still, it had been three years. And you would think that a lot of the music execs would be like, I don't know how this is going to go, I'm not sure. Not to say that that didn't happen, it probably did behind the scenes, but there was probably some trepidation. But the band themselves were very hell-bent on making sure Rick was okay and that that's all that mattered. And I would venture to say that if Rick never recovered, if he had never changed his um, percussion drum kit to an electronic one and he created something special for himself where he could then learn to play the drums again, I, I would say that the band would have happily retired there and said, well, whatever, we had a nice run and we're not replacing our drummer, so we're just not making music again. I would venture to say that could have been a, a, a real possibility. But because they were on Rick's time, they were waiting for him to recover, they were very keen with just letting him do his thing and providing the necessary support and um, the system that he needed to thrive, everything fell into place as it should, and we got hysteria from it, which, again, their biggest selling album, their best selling album, it did so well for them. So yeah, what more can I really say? I think that's a really incredible story. So I hope that this story, while it you know, was a gruesome one in some aspects with the details, I hope that the overall takeaway from this podcast episode today is that despite maybe some hardships you might be going through in life, that it doesn't stop you or deter you from keeping on, keeping on with the goals and the dreams that you want to achieve. You can still do it, just perhaps maybe in a slightly different way than you had initially thought of before. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you guys learned something today that you hadn't known about before. I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye guys. Bye guys.